Can I ask you guys a question? Do you ever have like Sundays where maybe you just feel a little down? Do you guys ever like come into church? Or do you have like, huh? <laughs> you ever, you ever not listen to someone? Huh? You know, do you guys ever have like, can I ask you guys just something too? Serious question. Like, do you ever have Sundays where you feel like you have like nothing to offer? You know what I mean? Like you come in and you're like, and you just feel like a mess all over the place. There's stuff going on or your mind's just like a million miles away with other stuff. I, I get that. I'm feeling that this morning and, and some, it's been a tough week in some regards just for me. And, you know, just because we're up front, just because we're serving um, doesn't necessarily mean we don't feel things. And so I get it. I feel it with you guys. To be honest, I was talking about it with a friend of mine and we were just thinking, I don't, I don't get how people do life without Jesus. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it can be tough to trust in Jesus, let alone to not have a God who's so graceful and merciful with us. And so uh, I'm excited to be with you guys this morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to 1 Samuel 30. We're continuing on in the David series. While you guys are opening there, you know, David is someone, there's so many different definitions and there's so many different parts about his life that are so good to look at that are not only a reflection of Jesus ultimately because people looked at him as a king and as a righteous king, but David was a human being failed, but he was fully devoted. And ultimately, David was the dude that pointed to Jesus, who is our true king, um, through the word and through um, his life. And David was someone who went through a couple different seasons of life. We looked at kind of the season of when he was a teenager, um, when he was anointed king about the same age that many of you guys were, how he defeated Goliath and he became a, a pop star overnight, you know, in Israel. And Saul, who was the current king, became very jealous, tried to kill him, ran him out of his own house. And thus began a season where David was living in the desert. He was running kind of with a ragtag team of people who didn't want to follow Saul either. And through that, this kind of ragtag group of people grew. It said that the, the people that joined him were like people who were in debt, people who were disgruntled with the leadership, and people who just wanted to not be a part of it. And so... It's kind of like millennials. And so anyways, they, they join him and it turns into what we call the mighty men. And so David is with these people. We looked at the story where, you know, David spared his life. Last week we talked about anger and we looked at the story where David was ready to murder a group of men just because one of them offended him. So David very much was human and had his own things that he had to wear on, which is why we love going through this story and looking at it for what it is. And this morning in the story, we reach a crucial point. This is one of the most crucial points when it comes to David's life. In fact, if you look at the Bible, 1 Samuel is the story of David. It begins it, but 2 Samuel continues all the way through the end of his life. This story that we're looking at ends 1 Samuel and from then on begins kind of the second chapter of his life in this new season that he's in. And so just to set the stage for you guys, David is, he is long out of Israel at this time. He, Saul is not even close to him at that point. Saul is actually fighting his own battle in a war against a people called the Philistines at that time. And there's like a big time battle going on. Um, they're about to have a major showdown. Meanwhile, over here, it's kind of like, you guys know like in your favorite shows how there are two different plot lines going on? 
And it's like, oh, I want to know what happens over here. And there's something over here happening as well. Thanks so much for that. Um, but uh, this is what's kind of happening. David has his story and Saul has his own story going on over here. And if you guys want to look at verse 1 with me, we pick up this point where David is returning to join all of his men, all their families that are gathered together. It says this, verse 1. David and his men reached Ziglag on the third day. They traveled a long ways to reach there. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and the Ziklag. What that means is the Amalekites was this other separate people group, and they basically raided all of David's village and all of their people while they were gone. It says they attacked it and they burned it and had taken captive the women and everyone else in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. Pretty traumatic thing goes on while David and his people are gone. So then it says, when David and his men reach that place, they come home. They found it destroyed by fire. And their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. And so David and his men, rightfully so, they wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's wives have been captured. Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David was greatly distressed. Now listen to this. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. That's basically them saying, we were going to execute David for what happened here because it was his decision to leave everybody at that point. And they come back and everyone has lost everything. And now his own people who have risked their lives for him had kind of reached a breaking point. And now they're ready to take his life and hold him to that. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Why don't you imagine that for a minute? Because, you know, a lot of David's story, his adversaries, the people that he went up against, were kind of these people that were very much open about opposing him. And David kind of had his own little posse of people that were very much in his corner standing up for him. In fact, it's funny because if you guys remember the story, maybe you guys have friends like this that'll stand up for you against other people where you're like, they'll have your back. Maybe you could say that, or they'll just say, they'll even encourage you to maybe do things that you shouldn't do with other people because they have your back so much they push you to extreme behavior. This is completely different. This is a whole nother level of stress and suffering, and I'd say pressure. Can you guys say the word pressure with me? David was very much under pressure right now. All right? Amen. Amen, Pastor Jeff. Um, But his own men... Now, I want you to imagine something for a minute. Imagine the people that are closest to you, and you find out that they have made a decision to turn against you, to stand up. That is tough. You know what? No one knows how to hurt you quite like the people closest to you. Amen? Amen? The really? Yeah, amen. David's in this position. It is not looking good. Oh, by the way, David lost his whole family too. And David cared about his men and lost all of their families too. You think if you were in his position, you would be feeling pretty crummy about yourself, to put it in layman's terms. Amen? If you lost your entire family and it was your decision to leave them in the first place, 
and then you lost all of your friends' families, you would be feeling pretty ashamed. You'd be feeling pretty... I don't know about you. I'd feel terrible about myself. And not only that, I'd be grieving. I'd be blaming. I'd be hating myself. I'd be mad. I'd be questioning it. I'd probably want to blame other people, but don't know what to do. And yet, what does the word say? But David found strength in the Lord as God. From there, it's really interesting because from there, we see David doing everything in his power to figure out how to get this back. He doesn't give up. He doesn't lay down. He doesn't throw a pity party for himself. He finds strength in the Lord and he moves forward with him. And it says that David found the priest. And he said, bring me the ephod. Abiar brought it to him and David inquired of the Lord, basically coming before him. He said, shall I pursue this raiding party? Can I overtake them, God? Which is interesting because he could have moved forward without God and just said, I'm just going to go for it. But he said, you know what? I'm going to find strength in the Lord and I'm going to seek the Lord's wisdom. Can we do this if I go forward with it? Pursue them, God answered, and you will certainly overtake him and succeed in this rescue. David and his 600 men with him came to the Besser Valley where some stayed behind. 200 of them were too exhausted to cross the valley, but David and the other 400 continued the pursuit. So they set off basically on the journey of a lifetime for them. This is like, could you imagine how stressed out you would be? You're like, we are going to look for our wives and our kids And it was a barbaric day and age that they lived in. They didn't even know if they were going to be alive necessarily or if they would even find them. And yet they were so exhausted from everything that 200 of David's mighty men, a third of the army dropped. Now, usually at that point, I don't know about you. If you're a math guy, you know that you just lost a third of your army. That's probably not a good way to head into a battle. And yet what they say is like, we're going to keep going. And guess what? Just because those 400 kept going didn't mean they weren't tired either or that they weren't stricken in their own hearts because of everything that happened. And yet they're saying, all right, we're going to move forward. We're an emotional mess, but we're going to move forward together because we inquired of the Lord. That's all we can say about it. They found an Egyptian. This is a huge stroke of luck for them. They have no idea where this raiding party is. They found an Egyptian in a field and brought him to David. They gave him water to drink and food to eat. Part of a cake of pressed figs and two cakes of raisins. Ew. He ate and was revived, for he had not eaten any food or drunk any water for three days and three nights. David asked him, who do you belong to? Where do you come from? And he said, I'm an Egyptian. I'm the slave of an Amalekite. Huge stroke of luck that they couldn't have predicted. And he says, my master abandoned me when I became ill three days ago. We raided the Negev of the Karahites, some territory belonging, belonging to Judah, and then Negev of Caleb, and we burned Ziglag. That's the place where they came from. He doesn't know that it's them. He's like, yeah, we just came from that way, and I was ill, and my master thought it would be best to just leave me behind. And he answered, swear to me before, or David asked him, can you lead me to this party? And he says, swear to me before God that you won't kill me or hand me over to my master, which I think is interesting. It's like, He equates either dying or going back to the master saying, see, I sold you out. That's the same thing. And he says, and I'll take you down to them. And he led David down. And now here's where we get. There they were. They found them. Scattered over the countryside, eating, drinking, and reveling because of the great amount of plunder they had taken from the land of the Philistines. 
and from Judah. Could you imagine that feeling if you like walked around a corner and you saw that army just enjoying and reveling in all of your stuff? Meanwhile, your family was imprisoned right next to them. I'm guessing you would get a second wind of energy. Amen? And it says from there that um, David fought them from dusk until the evening of the next day. And none of them got away except 400 young men who rode off on their, on their getaway camels and fled. David recovered. Now listen to this. David recovered everything. Can you say everything? They recovered everything the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. Nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl, plunder, or anything else they had taken. David brought everything back. Can you say amen with me to God's word? Holy Spirit, we just invite you here this morning. God, we believe you're here. And God, I just believe that your spirit is going to speak to us. Lord, I believe that salvation is in this house today. Lord, I believe there are people in this house who don't know you that are going to know you today. Lord, and they're going to come to know you as Lord and Savior, and rightfully so, by putting their trust and making you their refuge in the same way that David did. So we love you, and we give you this morning in Jesus' name. Everyone said? When you talk about intense situations and you talk about an intense story going on, look no further than what we just read. This is a breaking point. And it's not that it wasn't just stressful, but there were a lot of points where this story could have taken a lot of different turns. There was because of David's decision to trust in God and to pursue them that some things fell his way that I believe were God ordained in this story. David had lost his family. Everybody had turned on him and they were ready to kill him. And yet, his first response is to turn to God to find strength. Finding strength, that word in the NIV, if you read along with me, it's defined as power. It's like he found power, but also just firmness. It was like David was unfirm. Have you guys ever like felt insecure? Or like, you know what, I'm not really confident in myself. I feel kind of shaky it was like he found his firmness again. Like, oh no, I have confidence now again in who God says I am. It also means support. He found support, a power of resisting attacks. It's like he found this power to resist all of this pressure. Have you guys ever been in a position where you knew someone was mad at you? I, get, I can't sleep if I know someone is mad at me or someone is upset at me. Or, you know what, it's... It's scientifically proven, thanks to my wife's research, but has anybody ever told you, we need to talk? And you're like, about what? And they're like, we'll talk about it when we meet. There's like, actually like a scientific, like visual, like there's like a reaction in your mind that I can't handle that. You know that feeling that you guys get when people are mad at you or there's like unease that's happening directed at you specifically? You guys know what I'm talking about? You guys can probably think of friends or siblings or things or drama that happens in our lives, you know. Everybody say that with me. Drama. We have a lot of royalty with drama kings and queens in this side of town. So that was unnecessary. That was dramatic, actually, what I just did. Everybody go, ha, ha, ha. Thank you. Thank you. Um. 
But David, feeling the weight of the world and the weight of the words of the people that he cared about most over him, had to find strength in the Lord. See, what David did in that moment, that set him on the path to get everything back, to maintain, and I believe that would have changed his, that changed his life. If they would have killed him, that would have been the end of the story right there. What a tragic ending to David's life. Think about that for a minute. David hadn't found strength in the Lord. Even though they may not have killed him, everyone would have lost everything. And that would have changed him for the rest of his life. So the linchpin, the, the, the thing that is the turning point in this story, isn't just fate. It was David's decision to pursue the Lord and to find strength in him. There are a lot of things that happened around him that were out of his control. Some good, some bad. But he had a decision, and he had power to make the decision to say, I'm going to choose God, and I'm going to find refuge in him, even if I can't do anything about anything else around me right now. And you want to know something? That was not the first time David found strength in the Lord. This wasn't something that was his emergency situation. This wasn't some medicine that's in the cabinet for when he gets really sick. He, go, he turns to that. This was the food in his fridge. This was something that he went to daily. This was a habit. This was something that he didn't have to think about because he had done it so much in the little things and so much in his life that he just went to God. It's easy to look at a story like this and be like, bro, you have nowhere else to turn. you got to turn to the Lord in this. But it's not that easy always in our lives. See, turning to God is something that we get to learn. We get to run to Him, not from Him, in the big things, not the small things. You know what? This example is shown best in Jesus. You see him in a moment of crisis. When Jesus would say, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. I have not said that over myself without being dramatic. But Jesus wasn't being dramatic. He was being honest. And yet, the first thing he did is he went into the garden alone with God to pray and to find strength. And it says he found this strength in him. And it says, let's rise up and let's go. That's what he said before being betrayed by Judas and going to the cross. It says he's like, rise up and let's go. Let's take it on because now we have strength in the Lord from that point forward. See, the story of David's even more radical. We talked about this side of it, but simultaneously Saul and his amazing Israelite army was going against the Philistines. And it said that Saul melted with fear at the look of that army, and he wanted to try to figure out what was going to happen. He didn't seek the Lord for refuge. He sought the Lord for information. He's like, oh, I just want to know if I'm going to live. And he wasn't getting any answers. And so it said that he actually went to a spiritualist, which was someone like a witch or like a, a voodoo kind of thing that was going on for that day. Like... Someone who was banned, actually, by God, that you are not to pursue those people. You're not to mess in that idolatry or any of that. And yet Saul was so desperate for an answer and in such anguish and such pressure that he, he was the one that banned them in the first place in the land. That he broke even his own convictions and broke God's command to just find an answer. So it's funny because... Saul and David, 
as different as they are, sometimes the people that are the most different in your lives are actually the most similar. There are people in your lives that you look at and you're like, I can't stand that person. And it's like, well, it's probably because you're just like them. Honestly. And that's a hard truth to accept, which is why we resent some people in our lives. Saul and David were very much different, but they were very similar in some ways. And look at them, both leading a people. They're both leading a people group. They're in charge of the families. The thing that made them different wasn't that they were in different circumstances. They're both under pressure. They're feeling the weight of the world. In fact, you could say that David was feeling it way more than Saul because his family was already gone and out the door by that point. Saul still had everything. And yet, the differences in their decisions of what to do with it. David says, I'm going to find strength in the Lord. And Saul goes, I just need some answers. I don't care if it's God or not. I'm going to figure it out. What ends up happening actually is Saul loses his life in that battle. And that's the end of his story from that point because he disobeyed the Lord. David survives. And from this point, it begins the point of him being installed as king. And the rest of his story is about him reigning as king over Israel. And so you see this story where so much is happening changed the course of everything for their lives. And I believe it's the same thing for you guys, that the decisions that you make of who and what you trust in, it will change the course of your life, for better or for worse. It's true. Everybody gets to make decisions about what they trust in and what they run to. There's a lot of different reasons for it, but ultimately, it starts with finding strength in God as a first response, not as a last resort. Does that make sense? Finding strength in God can't be our last option. It has to be our first option, and it has to be a part of our daily lives. Did you guys know that you find strength in things every single day of your lives? Everybody does it. This isn't just about big things. This is about little things. What are the little things in your life? I could ask you this right now, and maybe that's a good thing for you to think about. What are the things that you find strength in in your daily lives? Where are the places that you go for safety? Where are the places that you go to get strong again? Is it your Netflix? Is it your phone? Is it your social media? Is it your perception? Is it your pride? Is it your intellect? There's so many different things that we can just naturally go to to find strength in that isn't Jesus and it isn't what he has to say about us. See, there's a famous quote from a coach named Bill Parcells. He says, if you want to learn, ev-, he says, you can learn everything you need to know about a person the minute you start applying pressure. The minute that you start applying pressure to someone, whether it's, it could be any kind of pressure in their lives, social pressure, it could be spiritual pressure, it could be financial pressure, it could be circumstances, it could be a situation going on at home, it could be things that are happening with your parents that are hurting you and just you're feeling the weight of it. Pressure has a way of really revealing what's going on in our lives. And that's why, you know, for me as a person, not just as a pastor, but as a person, when I look at myself, I don't take my words for a lot of value. I take my actions under pressure with way more value of who I am and where I'm at with God than anything I could say when I have everything that I need in my life. Amen. Who are you under pressure? What happens the minute that you start to feel things? Do you jump ship? Like, 
solved in? Or do you press into the Lord? And yes, it's different in some areas of our lives. Some areas it's easy to press into God. Some are really not. We're all unique and different in that way. And we're broken differently. And so we have different vulnerabilities and things that we go to given for where we're at. You know, it's, it's funny because uh, there's a famous author. His name's Timothy Keller. Um, he leads a big church in New York. He works with like really intelligent people um, who work on Wall Street and all sorts of businesses downtown. And he, he said he noticed something about pressure and hardship when he sits down with them. Maybe they go through a tragedy. Maybe they're going through a really hard time. Maybe there was something that just happened to them. But he said this. This was really interesting to me. He said that he notices, this is his words, he notices that when a family that is more wealthy goes through a hardship, they are more inclined to blame God and push away. Because in their hearts, them saving up money, them getting into these, using their money to build this life of ease around them, get everything that they want, is almost like a substitute to say, I'm going to live a great life. Everything is going to be good and everything is going to be safe for me. I'm going to get a great education. I'm going to go to a great college. I'm going to get a great job. I'm going to get a great wife or get a great husband. I have a great family and nothing bad's ever going to happen to me because I'm fully protected from it and I'm rich and I'm in control of my life. And the minute that hardship happens, he says, typically the reaction is, I don't understand how this happened to me. I don't get how God could be bad like this to me. And they'll blame God. But the real issue of it is, it's that we live in a broken world and it's more about Are you going to pursue God or not? Now flip that. He actually says families that are not as wealthy, ones who don't have as much money, people who live in the margins, this is what he notices. When they go through hardship, he says, typically they never blame God. He says it always makes, they know that it's a broken world out there. They live in it and they see it every day. But that's not something to hold against God as much as it is to press into God about something. Let me ask you a question. When things go wrong in your life, do you blame God or do you press into him? God, this is your fault. God, why didn't you take care of this? I can't believe this is happening with me. And that is in no way meant to discredit what you're going through or your feelings. That's not what I'm saying. But God is someone who's meant to press in through the hard times. We've established that there's sin and brokenness in the world. There's no way around that and that we all experience it together. And I think it's an issue when you look at someone and say, my brokenness is worse than yours, so I can be madder than you. That's, that's just arrogance. See, the fact of the matter is we have a God who is ready to be pressed into in all of our lives if we're willing to. And that starts with the little things in our lives, not the big things. See, you don't have to wait for a major tragedy to press into God. In fact, I would say this, the minute that you wait for something major to happen to press into God, you'll have no clue what to do because you've never done it. That's like waiting for marriage to love someone. Um, Marriage is the context by which you should love someone and you should be learning. That's like waiting for a test to start before you study. Um, that's not a good time. And some of you very much practice that in your lives in Jesus name. Amen. And that doesn't work because the fact of the matter is 
you very much have a life that you live every day that you practice and have opportunities to find refuge in Jesus, that you're learning daily how to do it. When I come home from work and I'm stressed out about stuff, that's an opportunity right there. When you come home from school and someone has said something hurtful about you or you're just stressed out about life or school, that's an opportunity to find refuge in Jesus. Amen? Those little decisions, even if you make the wrong one and it doesn't seem like a big deal, that's an opportunity for you to learn. And those things add up. Your little decisions become your big decisions, which is why sometimes in our lives we do stuff in big moments and you're like, oh my gosh, why did I do that? Why did I say that? It's because you're the summation of all your little habits, the little things that you've done up to that point. Where do you find strength every day? And who do you turn to? Who do you run to? See, the other side of it, I just want to talk about before we we close in worship, is this. Saul sought God for answers and information, but David sought God for refuge and strength. That's a big deal right there in your guys' lives. Because my question to you is this. Are you looking for answers or are you looking for peace? Because they're not always correlated. That's not to say that information isn't a bad thing to have in your lives. But guys, we live in a society in a day and an age with information overload. Amen? Anyone hear that? Anyone paying attention? Do you guys hear? We live in an information overload society. With technology, with phones, with laptops, with the internet, it's incredible how much information we have going at us. You can just pull up Google and you can search whatever you want And maybe that almost gives you the feeling like you can have any answer whatever you want or whenever you want. But you can't. And that's probably one of the issues that comes with faith is because you you want these answers from God. I can get answers in my life any other time I want. I can just search it on Google. Side note, it's not always true just because it's on Google. Um, Actually, it was funny. I looked up an article. I was looking for healthy ways to lose weight. And like... I've read like 30 articles and 15 of them are like, you need to do it this way. And the other 15 are like, it's scientifically proven the exact opposite way to do it. And so you can put anything out there. But we live in a society that says if I pull it up and it says it's true, then it must be true. But you know what? The other side of it is this. Sometimes getting answers doesn't solve your problems. And maybe that's one of the frustrations that you share you know, with so many others is that you get all the answers, you listen to all the sermons, you hear all the info, and you're like, I still feel crummy, and I still feel bad, and this isn't solving anything, which we can say as a leadership team when we see in high school is that a lot of kids are like, oh, I've heard so many sermons, I heard everything he said, and it's like, that's not the point, is to give you more information. You know, if information was the thing that saved us, Jesus would have written 10,000 books when he was on earth and would have been the greatest author. But what did Jesus do? He ministered. He died for us. And he rose again because he knows that the solve, the issue and the answer to our soul resides in trusting and finding strength in him. Amen? It's not words and not saying anything against God's word or knowledge or any of that, that it's good and that it can build you up to be able to put refuge in, but knowledge alone cannot save a lick in this world. See, the funny thing about it is that God then just becomes a means for answers 
not a means to get to God itself. See, Saul was so bent on getting the right answers and getting the information that he forsook God, which sounds funny. It's like the dude went and talked to a witch. That's not me, Pastor Jeff. But it's amazing the things that we'll push God to the side for in order to get information on. Amen? Do it every day. And I know that we all do it too. Who are you ultimately going for? And at the end of the day, no matter how much information you have, it's not going to solve your problems. Deb, I'm going to have you come up here. I'm going to have you put Bibles and phones away. I want you to stand with me. Go ahead and put phones away, too. Thank you. See, David, in an hour of immense pressure where he wasn't going to get any answers, didn't matter. He didn't need all the answers. He didn't go to God to figure out information, to know that everything's going to be fine. Oh, oh, then I'll be fine. That's not how strength works. Finding strength in God means that you trust in him and that you can be confident even without knowing what's going to happen next. That's the beauty of a relationship with God. You don't need to know what happens tomorrow because you're trusting in God who does and has a little more control over it than us. Amen? So I want us to close eyes just right where we're at. Do you run to God or do you run from him? Do you blame God or do you push forward to trust in him. Maybe there are things going on in your lives right now that are just dug deep beneath the surface. Some of them, maybe they're in your face. Maybe what's going on with your parents and with your siblings and your family's dysfunction is right in your face. And you are frustrated by it and you're getting frustrated with God and you're pushing away from him and you're growing only more frustrated about it the more you push away because you're saying, God, I want answers. I want to figure this out right now. But That's not going to give you peace. That's not going to solve anything, even if you knew everything that was going to happen from this next point forward. What is going to bring peace is putting your hope and your trust in Jesus Christ, the one who can cover you no matter what happens from